We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Oscar Robertson, Leos Indoor. What a year that has been. The Bucks are the world champions. Montcrief going inside. Second, Middleton, yes! Chris Middleton! Happy birthday, Jason Kidd, the place is up for grabs! Behind the back, Giannis shot at a good ball, oh, and he never watched. Holy moly! Dudley, up top, open, it's got a clean catch! Milwaukee wins it! Play basketball and win. And win? Yeah. How many games? Six. We're going to win a six. Oh, welcome to episode 331 of the Win 6 podcast, proudly a part of Blue Hour Podcast's Eurostep Podcast Network. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me as always, it's my good friend, Jordan Tresky. Jordan, hello. Hello. How are you doing? Good. We now know the identity of the book second round opponent. It's not the Boston Celtics, although we may talk a little bit about the Boston Celtics in light about of lucky. breaking news. About Lucky. Um, We're going to Brooklyn night. Don't get me started on Lucky. But we will talk some some Celtics, because maybe bigger picture, longer term, there's some interest there from a book's perspective, but we are mostly going to focus on the book's second round opponent, that being the Brooklyn Nets. That series begins Saturday. Is it 6.30? Maybe that's Central Eastern. Time. Is it six thirty Central or six thirty Eastern? Six thirty Central. Okay, so six thirty PM on Saturday. Game one begins against the Brooklyn Nets, and really, this is this is what it's all about. This is what the season's been about. This is what 
the books are here to play for. So that's very exciting. We also, of course, have um, plenty of mailbag questions. Thanks all of you for sending them in. So we'll work our way through that as well. And first and foremost, we have some important housekeeping to do. Jordan's already ready to do a drum roll, but I've got yeah. a I've got to build into it first. So he's going to be <laughs> drumming for a minute there. We have been doing a giveaway over the past week or so to basically mark the retirement of our old logo and mark the arrival of our snazzy new look. And to do that, we have had one of our t-shirts, one of our original Win and Six logo t-shirts to give away. The final one in existence is how we've built this. Mm-hmm. You know, own your part of history today. To enter, all you had to do was get in touch with us via tweet or DM or email. Nobody took up the email option, but you could get in touch, send us a screenshot of you rating and reviewing the Eurostep Podcast Network on your podcast platform of choice. We got quite a few responses, which was nice because this is the kind of thing we could do and then, you know, fall on our face and realize that we're not as important as we think, Jordan. <laughs> no one no one enters and you have to win the t-shirt. But thankfully that didn't happen. And in a secure room with uh, no cell phone access, no no laptops or anything, just before we started recording, the drawing took place. Uh, Mr. Jordan Bartolomew Tresky was on hand um, as an adjudicator to, to witness this fair drawing. Are you, you satisfied with how all this played out, Jordan? Yes, it's it was the most natural way to do all this <laughs> to determine the winner. <laughs> yeah, there were a few few good few people who entered, loyal listeners, lovely reviews, and we thought we're gonna we're gonna extend the giveaway a little bit. It's not going on any longer. If you're listening now and you go, Oh great, I can no, you've missed your chance. Sorry, you missed your chance. We're generous, you gave a week. But the winner will get as build the last win and six t-shirt with the old logo in existence got that from the same warehouse in raiders of the lost ark yeah buried sure. deep within but we're also gonna additionally give out two mugs with that logo too so look prizes for not quite everyone sorry about that our pockets aren't that deep yet but prizes for for multiple people so to announce the winners if you hear your name We'll be in touch in due course to get, like, shipping details and all that stuff. The t-shirt was won by at Chaka Gump. And not by no means consolation prizes. The mugs are things of beauty. Jordan, I believe you yourself have invested in an original Win and Six mug. Four years too late. I finally got <laughs> Jordan is leaving it right at the end to get merchandise for his own podcast. But there is also a mug going out to at MK Robert and to at Ben Rowman. That's it. We spun a wheel too, I should mention. Yes. For longtime listeners, we did have a running joke about a former head coach who may have spun a wheel to determine his, you know, line of decisions. Well, we spun a wheel and it spat out three winners at us. So congratulations to at Chaka Gump, at MK Robert, and at Ben Rowman. We will be in touch. All right. That's out of the way, Jordan. Now we can move on to what's important, which is Kyrie Irving stepping on Lucky the Mascot. 
I, I do have to say, watch out, Bingo. <laughs> I have to say that this is two of my least favorite characters in the world of the NBA have just collided. They've come together at a time where we're going to hear a lot about them. Lucky, not a fan. One, he's a leprechaun. Mm. Not Leprechaun's not the most popular uh, of figures here in Ireland. Generally, you know, an American creation to represent Irishness. Not the most popular. Two, instead of being like a terrifying, like soft, plush leprechaun mascot the celtics make the terrible decision to have a grown man dress up as a leprechaun and parade around the court so lucky not one of my favorite characters big on mascots we're not talking about peyton pritchard either not a real mascot no we're not talking about peyton pritchard either (laughs) kyrie irving not my favorite and we're going to talk a lot about kyrie irving and kyrie irving himself has already started talking about you know this this title run that the nets are on which is quite a bold way to start framing things after you've dropped a game to the Boston Celtics. Before we go to the Nets, the Celtics, Jordan, what are the Celtics doing? Danny Ainge is supposedly resigning. It's all official now. Have the Celtics themselves confirmed it? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So Danny Ainge has resigned from his position as president of basketball operations or whatever. It may even have been a more senior sounding title than that. Brad Stevens is taking his place and stepping away from the bench. Jordan, does this bring you joy, seeing as you have been on more than one occasion, you know, slanderous of Brad Stevens' coaching, just generally kind of dismissive of the Boston Celtics? How do you feel now that the walls have truly come crashing down? Um, I don't know. It's weird. Um, <laughs> the team of the future... And the, uh, it's not, if you wouldn't say it's a disappointing, well, this season was certainly disappointing, but in the grand scheme of the Stevens era, I just think they got, they got too good too fast. And then this whole sense of they're going to be the team in the future. They're going to win numerous titles, all that stuff. The things that we say when, the team is on the rise, and it seems like they're going to be there forever. It's very rare when it extends out beyond like three, four years, you know. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of just hit the you know decline. Um, and I guess this is what you do. This is what you shake it up big time, and your coach that you wouldn't trade away for the MVP. <laughs> Um, he wants to step down or step up into the front office. I, I mean, that's a Ainge, the whole Ainge angle is like, okay, yeah, there's going to be some kind of repercussions, whether it was felt on his, from his perspective or not. I don't know, but he's been there for a, quite a long time, almost 20 years or something like mm. that. But it's like the whole Stevens angle of like, what the hell does Brad Stevens look like as a front office executive? The logic seems to be that Danny Ainge was a coach, became an executive, that worked out, so let's do it again. Pretty much, yeah. The weirdest part of this, and it, I like this does matter and is relevant to the books, because through their ups and downs, the Celtics have still been a part of the conversation of mapping out, you know, 
what are you going to see year in and year out and who are you going to go up against? And they've always been there. Some years, maybe a bit closer to the top. Some years like this year, really kind of falling off that. But with Tatum and Brown, there's still a path to them either continuing to develop what they have, maybe make a big free agent signing at some point, or, you know, trading out of those guys and landing someone else that builds something like they, they're still positioned to be a team that has some relevance in the East for many years to come. And now you're like, for all of the, the jokes made as expense, Danny Ainge has been a good GM. He has done some very good things yes. over the years. Um, Very, very capable NBA executive. And it goes beyond that too. Like Mike Zarin's still there. Well, maybe not mm-hmm. now, but was, right? Still, yeah, still there as of now. Who knows? What, if why is Mike Zarin not getting the top job? Is he going to be general I, manager well, under Brad? The, the whole thing of Brad Stevens leaving in or the Celtics for Indiana, hit, you know, home state, all that stuff. The um, the Hoosiers, the the appeal of the local college basketball team, all that stuff. Maybe there was real credence to he passed it up, knowing that he, there was something in line for him, and the Celtics were going to keep him within the organization at all costs. Why does he want this? He's a good coach. There's no reason to be like, oh, he's a good coach, so he's going to be a good executive. Like the, I know we haven't seen this progression very often recently, um, particularly no. from coaches who are you know actively coaches in a job and then moving, but it hasn't gone very well when guys have tried to manage that job along with coaching. Maybe we'll find out in time that it's just like <laughs> very different. Stepping stone. I, I just I, thing, like, I find I it tough of, like, to understand though. I like I don't for him and for the way his career has progressed and you go back to what he achieved at Butler and the big moments he had there, it's like I I just outwardly there may be very valid and understandable reasons from a personal perspective for him or from his family's point of view, but outwardly it's quite difficult to understand why this is the path that if the yeah. Celtics were to win a championship in five years, he wants to be somewhere in the stands, like, you know, high-fiving the owners he as opposed be right to being the, the guy on the sideline. Be... It's, yeah, it's just, it's pretty unusual. And then I don't know how confident they should feel in terms of getting as good a coach. And, Who, does this... and he's the one overseeing the Exactly. So coach. let's say the new coach comes in. It doesn't work after six months. And everyone's like, Brad, you've got to go back to the bench. Yeah. And so, he himself might be like that. And then he ends up doing both jobs. So is this technically like, because my comparison, again, Bucks centric sphere right here is like when Don Nelson left Milwaukee, he joins Golden State front office. That is short. I think it was a year. And then he became mm-hmm. coach. Is it like Pat Riley? Yeah. It is, but. It's the difference in age that makes it weird. Oh yeah, like yeah, this the, is like this feels like old school, like yeah. And we're talking about one of the younger coaches in the NBA is like, yes. yeah, you know, I've 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 had my time. I've done plenty of good work as a coach over the years, and now at the age of like, what is Brad Stevens? Early forties, mid forties, maybe forty-four. Um, he's going upstairs. It's. I don't know. It's a bit of a puzzle. Uh, it's at least another team's drama rather than the book's drama. 
and we can continue to mostly focus on basketball for now but it is something to keep an eye on just in terms of what it does for the Celtics and what that means for the shape of the Eastern Conference over the years to come the events of the next few weeks though could have their own big say in what the Eastern Conference looks like in the weeks in the years to come and that's going to start with Bucks Nets first and foremost although what happens with the Sixers how their run plays out could certainly factor in that too um, I know there's rumblings of Joel Embiid health stuff. Don't know, don't know how much that's really gonna be an issue, but we'll we'll see. How are you feeling now? It's official now that the books are gonna play the Nets. I don't. I mean, again, it there's the obvious like this is the greatest challenge that they've ever. They the Bucks have always been the team. They're now in the underdog spot of this whole. Um, playoff run. They've never been an underdog in terms of, you know, top seed. Last two years, we all know how the story ended. <laughs> um, I don't even know would Vegas ever have had them as an underdog going into a series. I don't think so, just because of how dominant they were. Um, yeah. Now they're going up against a team with three of the best scores in not just the present of the NBA, but of all time. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, they're, I think that kind of starts and it ends just how, like, they, th- there's nothing, there's, I, I mean, we talked about, I think we talked about in the crossover episode of post game four. But yeah, you think of the teams like, you know, the Celtics that the Bucks ran into in the 1980s, 76ers, of course you know, many times. And that was a different league and there's different circumstances behind all that. But like, it's just, there's no, there's no like comparison in terms of just the assemblage of talent that the, the Nets have. And now the Bucks have to slow down every, or each one of uh, Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, um, just to get past them this series. I think it's, I mean, it's going to be really, I think the differences in how the team has, teams have looked so far this postseason, granted it's been four to five games um, versus the regular season. But like, I just think there's, this is, I this is all what we have kind of been bracing for. And we're getting it maybe around too early than what people want to see. But you have to go through them to get where you want to be. And that's where we're at at this point. I, I just checked the odds there. And I'm sorry, I don't do decimal odds. This side of the road, we don't do decimal odds. But the books are two to one. Uh, so that is to win the series. What? That is, yeah. Okay. So... They're they're not just outsiders, they're kind of comfortably outsiders. Like the Nets are very much odds on to win the series. Not being I guess, I mean, called I as a I close didn't... series. Yeah, I I just think the way the books rolled through the first round, I would have expected it to be slightly nets, but slightly. Yeah, a little bit more of a slimmer margin than like outside. two two to one is value that I may revisit after we finish recording. Uh, because that's, I think that's just kind of uh, dismissive. 
of what the books have been to this point. That's the way the money's going. That doesn't surprise me because the three marquee names the Nets have are going to draw all that attention. But there are reasons, I think, to believe you can get at them and that they can get at each other, uh, which has always been one of the keys and something we've talked about in the past. So how would you go about that, Jordan? Let's say Bud has moved upstairs. He's now the president of basketball (laughs) operations, and you have been hired as the Milwaukee Bucks new head coach right now, just before one of the most important playoff series in recent memory. How are you going about beating the Nets? Are we talking about matchups? Are we, is that what we're doing? You're in charge. You are the coach. I'm in charge. So we've got to talk about all of it, I guess. But it's it's up to you, really. What what's the first thing even that you're thinking of that the books would need to focus on or prioritize? I would take a one page advertisement out of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Um. <laughs> Make a case for Giannis's MVP. Yeah, I this is a terrible reference that probably like eight people. No, remember. people listening to our podcast will get the hardened newspaper ad. <laughs> yeah, there's so, yeah, there's yeah. Books fans um, get that. Any other podcast, people would be lost. Books fans remember. We got the, we have the page advertisement. You got you know burners after KD. That's pretty self-explanatory. Just yeah. Um. <laughs> Kyrie's a little bit more, you don't know what, how to, no. Um, I mean, how the matchups and how Bud and the staff kind of deploy. Because Drew could, Drew specifically can go so many different ways. We've seen him match up against Durant more sparingly um, rather than he did against Kyrie or Harden in that one game. Harden's debut with the Nets, I should say. But then, where does Chris go? How, I mean, Giannis seems pretty tailor-made to guard Durant for, you know, much of the series. Um, I mean, that in itself is going to be like... I mean, the fact that the Bucks haven't played against the Nets, or the Nets three, I should say. We haven't... We don't know which direction that they're going to go. And, you know... <laughs> now, I mean, there's... There's so many ways of like how we talked about like where do you like are you where are you comfortable letting the nets live and how are you comfortable with like okay we're gonna try to shut down or not shut down but like make things tougher for guys like KD and Harden but we're gonna let kind of Kyrie do what he wants to do or do you like what other kind of like machination of I'm Jack Nicholson um, in The Departed that that nodding. Gift, a lot of Boston know. references. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. <laughs> Who's the rat, Jordan? We won't. We'll, 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 that will be revealed in time. But I, to me, that is the option. Is you go if Kyrie, particularly the books have had in their you know not too distant past, a look at what Kyrie, if it's Kyrie show in the playoffs, what can happen. And I think you've got to, as much as possible, allow that to be the version of the Nets you play. And if you lose that team, you tip your hat. I mean, generally, I think there's going to be an element if the Bucks lose to the Nets, you tip your hat and you're going to have to say, well, the talent they have is ridiculous. 
what more can we do? But you've got to do everything and give yourself the chance. And if you do manage to go about that and execute and really test them in a variety of ways, I think this is a team that could certainly, if not crumble entirely, there will be cracks that are there to be exploited. I think Kyrie is one. Um, just a weird season for him in every way. Weird few seasons, really. I saw he was talking about, you know, three of the greatest offensive players or three of the greatest scorers of all time, was how he put it. I was like, well, two of the greatest scorers and you would be how I'd put that. Like, that's I'm not even just trying to be disrespectful. Great offensive player. He's not an all-time great scorer. You know, it's it's a massive part of what he does, but he's not in the Hard and Durant category which this is what the books need to play into. He thinks he's on Harden and Durant's level. If he starts running the show, those two guys aren't going to like it. The books are going to be better for it. And we see what happens. Make Kyrie the one and only talking point. Make it be that he's the person who's taking the big shots. He might be making them. He might be missing them. But post-game, he's on that podium and he's going to say stuff that's going to make it all fall apart, Jordan. This is my... My advice as your assistant coach um, in this scenario, I'd be saying, look, we can live and die with Kyrie. We've got to figure out how best to slow down Harden and Durant. Now, the the original point, I think, if it's a very traditional, we're going to say book X has net Y, and it's just going to be that's his guy, and they're going to lock in on that. I think Drew has to have Kyrie just because I don't know if you want... I don't think Chris on Kyrie works. This is where Dante is a loss, just in terms of having an active, quick defender of similar size. If you're going that way, then Giannis and Chris can probably, between them, be options that would would cover Harden and Durant, and then Tucker, obviously, in that mix, too. Between those three guys, you'd look to cover, I think, most of, of Harden and Durant's minutes. That's not optimizing Drew as one of your best defenders, maybe quite as well. I mean, if he if he shuts down Kyrie and other guys do good jobs on the rest of the team, it's a big deal and it's all doing its part. I wonder, is this the series where, like... The books just have to trust their own homework, their own practice as much as anything, and just really switch almost everything. You know, very close to everything. Maybe Brooke isn't the one that you you go with switching, but as we've talked about before, don't be afraid of it. He's a really big guy. He'll get out there. He might look awkward doing it, but he'll close space fast due to his wingspan, due to his size. If a couple of trees get knocked down over Brook trying to close out or being switched on someone on the perimeter, fine. I think you'll live with that, but I wouldn't be so terrified to not have a look at just, you know, how the Nets feel about having someone of his size do that, particularly when there's such great defenders everywhere else ready to help off them too. But that's kind of the question for me is how rigidly, and I think a lot of the focus from people like us, well, naturally fall to, okay, well, like the you've got Giannis on Durant or you've got Drew and Kyrie and trying to make it one-to-one. But part of the book's advantage in this series is that they have options. Like they have multiple options and good defenders that 
they can play their game a little more freely than I think the Nets may be able to. Because on the defensive side, the Nets are so severely lacking compared to what the Bucks have that they're the team to me that will have to try to be really rigid. Like, that's a, yeah, that that's kind of a key point, even just for flow of the game and how a game is breaking out. And say, if if you've got transition opportunities, where I think the books, particularly among starting five, and will throw Tucker in. Um, who knows? Maybe like Tanasis later in the series if he's back and healthy. That you just have versatile defenders, versatile bodies that you can be like, okay, we don't have to get bogged down in oh no, there's this mismatch over here, we can just trust ourselves and say, you get that man, you get that man, you get that man within the flow of the game, and we'll switch, and we'll be comfortable switching. And switching may even get the books back to some of their stronger matchups. Like, the Nets aren't going to go hunting. Maybe they will. I don't know if it'll be the right call for them, given how Kevin Durant is maybe Drew Holiday's most vocal cheerleader in the media. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think if he's on Giannis, he'll be like, oh, let's get a pick and roll going so I can get switched on to Drew. But that's what the books have that the Nets don't, where, you know, if Giannis is on Kyrie Irving, or maybe a better example, if Chris is on Kyrie Irving, we know what that is. That's, you know, easy points. Same will apply to Joe Harris. And if the Nets go to a smaller lineup, Joe Harris may be Middleton's, you know, direct matchup. All of that is really interesting to me because I just think the books have more flexibility. It's really going to be a matter of, well, game one, what approach do they want to take? And then depending on how that goes, do they adjust it? They could win this series by locking in and kind of having strict assignments defensively. But they may be even better if they just trust trust the personnel and they trust the work they have particularly when it comes up against what the Nets are going to have on the other end. Like, it's not a not an entirely new conversation. It's one we've had in the past, but this is maybe the ultimate case of, you know, can you get your offense firing at the level where it's at its best? If the Bucks' offense is at its best, I think they win this series. It doesn't matter that they're playing three all-time great offensive players. It's because... They're just going to show those guys more resistance than they're going to feel on the other end of the floor. That's yeah. my perspective on it going into things anyway. No, I think I think your point of... Yes, Brooklyn has the kind of trump card of talent over, you know, what the Bucks have. As great as Giannis is, and we, you know... Um, but the whole, like... Yes, they have a guy like Joe Harris, but then you're relying on guys like Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan. I, know, I honestly do not know how much of a role he played against the Celtics, but from what I saw that series in very limited minutes, he was all on the bench. Um, so it's like you have this, you know, wealth of options to kind of fill out the core, and then you're just fixing all the pieces to kind of fit within within all that in Brooklyn. And then on the other side of the coin is like, well, you have your, the Bucks floor has obviously been raised with, you know, adding a guy like Drew Holiday. And then it's all about, it, it's a different question, but it's seeking the same answer is how, how do the, the kind of 
likes of PJ Tucker, Connaughton, Bryn Forbes, Bobby Portis, how does like that whole kind of depth bench units, whatever you want to call it at this point, how does that all fit together within the Bucks core and, you know, not overpower the Nets, but just bother them in a way where the Bucks can win a seven game series if it goes that long. You know, like it just it's there's so many fascinating ways to look at the series outside of the obvious of like, oh, these two teams are really great. They played great games against each other during the regular season, even without the Nets being in full strength and all that stuff. But like we've talked about this for a while. It's like it just feels like the Bucks are gonna be the biggest test to the Nets in terms of how the Bucks are built, how they've been playing this year, how they looked against the Heat, granted, you know, it's going to look a little different going against a team like the Nets, just with offensive firepower versus a Heat team that, you know, their top three scorers are pretty much locked down by the Bucks the whole series. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I have no idea which way this goes in terms of how games will, will be played because I think, I think Kevin Arnovitz wrote after the sweep game four uh, win, the Bucks, the Miami, Miami's offensive rating was like ninety five point nine. Worst in like five years in the playoffs. Wasn't Worst it? of any, yeah, five years. And I was like, oh, okay. Like again, again, Miami's offense is not nearly on the level of Brooklyn's. But you right, kind of but like, but like, and then the the counter to that too. If we're looking at the way the dynamics of that work, only once in five games did the Celtics fail to score 100 points, and that was not like full strength Celtics. Yeah, they pleaded with like two of the three best offensive players missing at least some of the series. They just won't have. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Resistance for that. So the books don't have to do what they did to the Heat in terms of limiting Brooklyn's offensive rating. But mm-hmm. if we can see some impact, if they make a dent in what their offense is, it's the difference on the other end. It's really it's about whose margin is going to come down and who's going to get the net gain. And I do think logic would say the net gain is there for the books. Now, actually going and getting is a different thing. And it's easy to look at the numbers. It's easy just basically playing this series out on paper. And then when it takes to the court, it's a very different proposition. 
particularly with players of the talent that Brooklyn have at this juncture in the playoffs. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. I do, if you'll allow me to be bold here, I, like I think the winner of this series wins the championship. Yeah. I particularly particularly what's happening out west and with the Lakers, you know, on death's door. Now, they may well come true that, but if the Lakers are going to go out in the first round out west, I'm not saying that there's not going to be a formidable team waiting for whoever emerges from the east, but I think whoever emerges from the east will be the favorite. Yeah. And there's going to be a learning experience whoever really gets there out west. That's it might be their year where you know good run but not quite ready and the books have certainly had their runs of that and they've experienced that and are hopefully are better for it i mean this is first go around for this nets team but i mean combined experience of the key players is off the charts that doesn't factor in i don't know sixers we'll see i mean they they haven't finished off the wizards yet i mean Dumb. Dropping a game to the Wizards under any circumstances, and I know we could put an asterisk beside it, but not not great. Not ideal. Um so I would be picking the winner of this series between the Bucks and Nets to win a championship, and I would honestly be shocked if whoever it was wasn't the front runner. One thing that I've I might have mentioned, I don't know that we talk about this privately or if this was on a podcast. I really like the Bucks not having the higher seeding in this because I I can't see them not winning one of the first two games and that's where you can turn the series upside down and the books are always in what's kind of the defensive position of you're guarding against that <laughs> I I mean for all of the advantages of home court your your advantage of home court is having yeah, a game seven well it's I think the advantage is having a game seven at home if you get there I don't think there's any advantage to playing game one and game two at home because if you drop one of those, you're feeling an entirely different level of pressure than you would otherwise. And in this case, I think the books have plenty of reason to feel good about themselves at home. They've plenty of reason to feel good about themselves generally, but if they can kind of go in and have two free hits on the road, like it's not impossible. The books could win game one and two. And then you're looking, you're going, you've got two home games that you could, close out a series i'm not predicting that i'm not predicting a sweep where the books win the first two games but i do think the books will be in with a chance and in those games and against a team of this caliber i don't think it's uncomfortable to be in that spot and be like you know we don't just win a game if we get this one it's it's that little bit extra you've got the psychological edge of stealing something away from brooklyn that they had to begin with and also for the book's point of view, for all of the talk, even kind of late in the season, and we had this about, you know, seeding for potentially playing the heat. And if they tanked out of that, the other side of that is, oh, do you need to push? Do you need to push to make sure you've got home court against the Nets in the second round or whatever? 
Like the real answer to that is no. Just if you get the Nets in the second round, win one of the first two. Congratulations, you've got home court against the Nets. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it's it's that simple, and that's the the opportunity that's there. So I I like the dynamic, and I think particularly for this team, it will not hurt them to play the first two games on the road and say if we can get one of these, you know, we're in the driver's seat. It's it's a very different series. I'm just generally i'm really excited for this like this this feels like something pretty special in terms of the caliber of players the books are going up against it's possible the nets could just blow them away i don't expect it but it's possible but this is like when you alluded to it again earlier and i know over the years we've talked to plenty and you and i have written about those books teams of the 80s and you you look through those runs and you're like just look at them going up against heavyweight after heavyweight in terms of the teams they play in terms of individual players like this is one of those where you can mark it right now in the history books where it's like yeah this nets roster no matter if it ends up like in multiple championships if it ends up in disaster this is a notable team this is a mm. team with players that are going to be talked about for decades and decades to come that what you do against this team matters. What you do against this team is in legacy building kind of territory. And I think the books are coming into it in the best place they could be with probably the exception of, you know, it would be great if Dante hadn't got injured recently. But other than that, I mean, everything is looking very good in terms of where their confidence should be, in terms of how key players are playing, in terms of how Bud is coaching. You've even got someone like Tanasis who's been out gradually working his way back. So you're going to have another option. I'm not saying, you know, oh, Tanasis is the key to beat the Nets. Maybe he doesn't see the court at all. But if you're talking about just trying to get everything there, all the stars aligned, what your best case can be, I really like where things are for the books. You feel I the agree. same. I. This is the thing, and I don't think we've actually voiced this yet, but I've noticed this in you in particular. I'm well attuned to this after all of these years. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you have a confidence in this team and in the books right now that you've maybe never had before. Um, No, I, I think... <laughs> I, I do have a confidence. It's different, though, than what I felt like in 2019. I thought that team was going to win it all. I felt like the opportunity was there. Why did you think that, though? The the opportunity was there. Is the like it It's kind of so... the, the path cleared for them in 2019. Yes. But I, I feel, and I don't disagree with that, but I, I like there's no doubt the, if the Bucks win a championship this year, they will have run the gauntlet. Like there will not be tougher runs to go and win a championship than what they'll have to do just to get out of the East. Yeah. But in terms of where the team is at and That's the coach the is at and the players, I, I like I think I have the most confidence in the books rather than maybe years where I've had more confidence in their situation. Like it would be great to be playing that 2019 Celtics team in a second round right now and to have that Raptors team in a conference finals. You know, if that was the case, I'd be booking tickets and getting ready for the parade. Yep. But in just where the team are at, that's for me. And that's what I'm sensing off you. But And I think, I mean, we don't like to acknowledge the 
you know, disappointments, the failures of the last two years. But there is some. We've acknowledged the plenty. What? (laughs) We've acknowledged the plenty. We've had to, unfortunately. Yeah. But those experiences are fresh in the guise of like, you know, Giannis, Chris, Brooke, Mm -hmm. Pat, Bud, obviously. I mean, Dante wasn't even part of that run, so you can't really count him. And, and the run to the Easter Conference Finals, I should say. Other than that, like, there isn't that kind of, like, oh, we're here before. And, again, I, I don't know, this is kind of twofold, where it's, like, the experiences of the last two years where the Bucks finally get through, they break the 18-year series win drought, first of all. <laughs> um they get through Boston, who the team that they, you know, battled in the 2018 first round. And, you know, it seems like there's a plum opportunity to get past Toronto and you see a Golden State team without, you know, Durant was already having his issues with his cap straight and everything. And last year was what it was. They, you know, there's other circumstances that played into why they looked underwhelming from the get-go in the bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, and that conference finals in the East tells its own story a year on when you look at yes, like, yeah. I I don't want to be the bubble discreditor, um, but come on, the bubble is speaking for itself in a lot yeah, of ways bubble, this year in the yes. in the difference, um, and maybe just in some variance too, like for example, if the Lakers go out to the Suns. That's a case of okay, yeah, sure. The Lakers, their talent is undisputable. They're the the reigning champions, but it feels like the consistency of the season is holding up much more in these playoffs than we saw a year ago. Like there's, I suppose one that's easy because the season wasn't you know interrupted for multiple months right in the middle of it, but it it feels like kind of the books are an example of the groundwork that was put in place is actually there. And I don't think the books are the only example of that. Like the West is filled with kind of plucky teams that maybe weren't entirely expected to be in as good a position as they are right now, but they did it all season long and they are actually carrying it into the playoffs, which is, I I personally think great to see. That's just, that should be what the league is. And particularly you play so many regular season games and you squeeze so many in in a year like this for the regular season to then just look like it meant nothing would be a, I, I just don't think very good for the product all around, but yeah. that is part of, I think where the playoffs seem to be progressing. It's you're seeing these emerging storylines, but they're not bolts from the blue. They've been gradually building over the season. And from a book's perspective, I think that very much suits them. That's what they yeah. would have wanted. Yeah. Yeah, I I think to kind of round out like my whole point of like again they this is this is their underdog role they have, they have not been the underdog sure have they been you know cast as the kind of they haven't proven anything yet you know going from first round exit exits when they made the playoffs to a run to the Eastern Conference Finals no there's very it's hard for a team to go from that kind of rapid ascension that we've seen a team like the golden state warriors in 2014, 15, that's unheard of, but obviously the bucks look to be on that trajectory in Bud's first year. 
now it's different where, you know, the pressure isn't really on them at this point. I mean, people, as we acknowledged before, they are not the favorite at whatsoever. They're not even the underdogs. Yeah, they're the underdogs viewed that way and rightfully so. But I think it's it's interesting how the last couple of years and how those experiences and there's real pressure to win um, on a guy like Mike Bun- or Budenholzer's shoulders where all that feeds into what we saw this season. And now you're going against a team that is literally built like a 2K roster, you know, with trades, <laughs> unbelievable trades that wouldn't, that you thought that wouldn't ever happen. And I, I just, it's just, it's such a very different um, position that we've seen, that we're seeing the Bucks right now and how they're kind of like, they go through, they roll through the heat in just a, such, you know, decisive fashion. And now you're going against a team that's, you know, headlined by, th- you know, three great stars and the Bucks, you just kind of have this, like, how, what are they going to do to kind of disrupt their, you know, rhythm, I guess, or just this uh, roster and talent building, whatever, you, I don't know, whatever you call Brooklyn, but it, I don't know. It's just, it's such a kind of reversal of what we have thought of the Bucks the last couple of years. I'm really curious to see, let's say the Bucks go out and they pick up where they left off and they win game one. I'm really curious to see what Steve Nash and the Nets coaching staff have, if they have anything other than we've got three all-time talents, let's give them the ball and hope they win. Now, maybe I'm doing a real disservice to some of the work that's been there kind of below the surface this year in Brooklyn. I'm not entirely sure if I am, though. From what I've heard, what I've read, I don't think I am. And this is a point where they could really be tested. I don't, did you see, I, I quote tweeted it earlier. There was a clip from um, Inside the NBA last night. Did you see this? Yeah, I saw that. Charles Barkley, Draymond Green. Uh, I did know on Twitter what seems to be a pretty weird, you know, emerging phenomenon that Charles Barkley is one of the the most knowledgeable and astute books commentators in the national media all of a sudden. <laughs> Genuinely, it looks like he's paying attention. Yeah. And no one else is. So obviously I didn't see the I didn't see all the show. I've just seen the clip. So obviously leading into the clip that was shared on the NBM TNT Twitter account, there's been some conversation with the series and Barkley has made the case of, you know, or there's been talk of Brooke and what Brooke's size will do to the Nets inside. And Draymond Green interjects with, you know, what are we talking about Brooke? This is a Brooklyn Brooke Lopez. You know, he's just standing out there shooting trees. And Barkley pushes back on that and tries to say Shaq's being in. Shaq doesn't want credit for watching games or being knowledgeable about basketball. So he's like, no, 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 no. I'm not having that. I'll just team with Draymond here. Basically, my point here is I know the Nets will have done their homework. I know their video coordinators will have done their homework. But just kind of like Draymond Green, one of the smartest players in the NBA. This is not any kind of groundbreaking revelation I'm I'm making by saying that. 
is it possible that there's just kind of something below the surface that players, Nets players, for example, could have, where they'll have one idea of the books or of personnel, and when it comes to split-second decisions in a game of what am I going to do, what's that player want to do, that the new version of the books could catch them off guard? And when I started to think about this earlier, I thought... Is this kind of part of what happened to the Heat too? Like, maybe. I There was a big talent difference and we all know that. But is there just a bigger story here, which is that as the books are adjusting to a more refined version of themselves, a slightly altered identity, is there part of that that's just not kind of there to hand as ingrained knowledge for opponents yet? Whereas much as, you know, the scouting report might be saying something now, those kind of, you know, okay, we're switching and I've got to make this split second reaction. The ball gone to that guy's hands on this part of the floor. What am I going to do there? Is that not quite there yet? Does that even factor into the idea of, you know, maybe a defense just relaxes a little when, oh, you show Giannis a wall, he's kicked it out to the corner. Oh, that's a win for us where last year that might have been true. Now Bryn Forbes is there and it's very much not true. It's something I'm kind of intrigued by and it takes this series to add to what we've seen with the Heat to get a sense of. But do you think it's possible that maybe not everyone is quite as clued in on what the books now are and is still preoccupied with what the books were last year and the year before? I think there's something to that. I think there's also how much of the books have shown in terms of you know, it's not just the switching element or the de- defense as much as the intention has or attention has been towards that end of the floor because that's just how, you know, that that's the best read of how Bud wants to play. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You can do all these things offensively, teams take it away, and you're kind of left with like, well, if you still hit shots, you're that's how you're going to play. But defense is kind of like the o- overall like game plan. That's where like, it's also the kid's scar tissue from a book's perspective. Where That's the other thing, too. It's the thing yes. that we will always focus in more on because we yeah. know what happens when it goes wrong. Yeah. And I'm not sure. I mean, that that's the other thing. The variable of like, well, the Bucks are different this year, but how much, are, how much is, of it is different and how much of it will be of use against a team like Brooklyn? Because, you know, we talked, I think it was post-game four pod again. Where it's like, what kind of role does Brooke Lopez have in this series? He's the the Bucks' fourth best player, and has routinely played above you know his weight, uh, not literally, but <laughs> in the playoffs. And you're going to be asking a lot of him, and you know, there's the obvious like, well, <laughs> there's there's something to be exploited there, and just how the Bucks have played him defensively. But he's just there's. If you're looking for for ways to exploit the Nets and the fact that Blake Griffin is maybe their starting big man or even a guy like Nick Claxton, yes, he's kind of like this promising prospect who has the ability to kind of guard on the perimeter, this kind of stuff that you're like, oh, that's a little, you know, not saying the... the He'll get tested. He'll get tested if they go that way. Oh, exactly. So I think that's that's, you know, kind of... It, there's, yeah, they kind of, I'm saying this all very clumsily, but there's the obvious, like, big glitzy things that you're looking at first, but it's all on the margin stuff that that's where 
you look at the Bucks and you look at the Nets and you're just like, you know, how does this all fit together? Where it's like Bruce Brown, what, you know, like how they've used him all series or it's like that, that's not going to fly against the Bucks. It's Mm not six, four, six, five center essentially rolling to the rim. That's not going to fly against a guy like Brooke Lopez. If they're also his, his rebounding work, which has been key to them throughout the season. Yep. Like the books are, where did they finish? Were they first in rebounding again? Top three this year. I I would assume first a year ago. Um, and I, I don't think in spite of some of the changes, I, I'm pretty sure there wasn't much of a drop off, but it's, yes, they were. Oh, wait, no, that's playoffs. Sorry. Second. Uh, second, right. Like, there's, and just by 0.2 per game to the Jazz. Um, where are the Nets on that? 14th. It's it's interesting because rebounding was so crucial against the Heat. And yeah. it's not particularly sexy. So we didn't, on all of our post-game podcasts, like, it would have come up just in terms of, I guess, the books owning... Um, the heat around the rim in all senses but I don't know if we probably devoted enough time to just how their rebounding was like a driving force on that and again it could be the platform it could be the thing you build off of and particularly against the Nets like it's something that the books have been so bad on even in some of their best spells in recent years in the regular season they would allow second chance opportunities to teams this is the team, like the Nets, the players they have, they can do enough damage with one shot. You've got yeah. to limit them to one shot per trip. And if if the Nets go small and they're thinking of ways, well, they can exploit Brook Lopez, I, again, I just don't know if that actually plays to their advantage or it plays into the Bucks' hands because the Bucks can say, fine, well, we'll just own the glass. <laughs> you know, we'll completely, we will dominate you inside and we will own the defensive glass and then all of a sudden you know you need Harden, Kyrie, Durant Harris pouring in trees just to keep up with what could be the differential in rebounds, what could be the differential in points in the paint what could be the differential in free throw attempts although that's always got a bit more uh, a bit more variance in it and some other stuff that can play into that but that is something with a lot of how this is set up it's going to depend on what officials you get. It's going to depend on how strong they are. And if they're the kind of officials who are going to lean into, you know, some of the Harden-esque calls that he's made his name for, or if you're going to get officiating that is going to be a little bit tougher, a little, a little bit more physicality. And if that's the case, the books are going to be attacking relentlessly. I, I think this is, as a change of pace, they don't want to become over-reliant on it, but it's one of the first series in like this kind of m- multiple year run now for the books where they're playing a good team who also may not be able to stop them from having their way inside and getting a lot of the shots they want to get. And if they do like, uh, what are they, what are they doing to stop that? Like if you're stopping Giannis and you're, you're walling off Giannis, well, I think you've got to involve Kevin Durant pretty centrally in that. And is that the best use of, KD at this point in his career and with injury troubles he's had in recent years is that what you want to do like that's another thing too where we talk about matchups the matchups defensively from the net some of them seem logical and yet are they going to want to do that 
can they afford to do that or do they just have to trust that their offense can outgun any team we're gonna find out jordan let's go yep. to the mailbag we've got some some questions that will bring us through some more kind of hot button topics on the series from at bango trap house does Giannis or brooke lopez shoot more trees this series Giannis. yes I'm not saying I'm entirely uh, pleased not about that. Confident about it, but I think we saw how the how the Nets are gonna. It doesn't have to be a wall and how they defend them, but they're gonna be like, okay. Yeah, I, I don't even shoot? think they they can. No, wall them off in a way that other teams have. Um. But yeah, I my one concern with that is it is the kind of matchup, and over the years, um. I can think of Warriors games too when Durant was there. I feel like Giannis, he's made plenty of trees against Durant before, but it's like it's a point of pride for him in that particular matchup and he wants to show he can do it. And in this series, that's the one thing I'd hope he'll be wary of is to not get into trying to play the Nets at their own game. You know, you're a different player to those stars. Go and do it your way. But yeah, I would predict Yana shoots more trees. I don't know if that's good for the books. Mm-hmm. It seems good for the spacing they probably should be bringing into this series, though, which is with Brooke a little bit closer to the rim. Um, I just personally like if Yana's when he gets to those situations where he could shoot, if he takes a quick look around and is like, okay, am I better off taking a few more strides here and looking for a pass as opposed to you know, just running into bodies or tossing up a tree. From at turtle underscore kernel, who do you think will be the biggest X factor in the series against the Nets, assuming they win the series? And no, Jordan, don't say Simon Cowell. Do we do it from both sides? We could do it from both sides. I can't Although it's you... assuming they win the series probably suggests the books, although I think Kyrie Irving could be one of the biggest X factors if the books. I, I think he is the biggest X factor I'll see all round. Um, if I was to pick a books player, I'd, I'd pick Drew. Oh, I mean, there's other ways you could go with it. I just think this is. We talk so much about the difference between Bledsoe to, to Holiday in the first round. It's going to show up again here because the books are going to need points from. Him. They're going to yeah. need him to be a really good offensive player, which he is. And this is also, I just think, a big opportunity for him. Like, if he is up against Kyrie most of the time, this is his chance to get himself out of underrated discussions and kind of get his props as one of the very best point guards in the NBA, which I think anyone who watches him knows he is. Um, I've no doubts that he'll show that defensively. But if he can also go and have a really strong offensive series... I think it will say a lot about him and it will do a lot for the books. I probably would have said Chris, but I mean, there are X factors in different ways where it's like, yeah, the obvious, you know, Bledsoe to Drew, his defensive versatility is going to be relied on even more this series than he's not going to have one second of a non-multiple All-NBA opponent as his yeah. primary matchup defensively. Yeah. Like, he, I, I don't know if that's going to be true for every book. Um, there's probably moments where Giannis will get some time off um, 
from having to guard someone like that. Certainly, Chris won't have to do that all of the time. I don't think Drew's going to be on the court and not find himself assigned to one of Kyrie, Harden, or Durant for as long as the game goes. Yep. And then yeah. even if, if for some reason they weren't on the court, he could be the guy that you're like, uh, you're on Joe Harris and stop him getting shots off. Like he's just, he's gonna, he's gonna have the best or second best player at all times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Middleton is more kind of, you know, can his offense, can he kind of steady this ship? Can he kind of keep doing what we saw from, the Heat series, even like the game one where, you know, yeah, it wasn't the most efficient performance. And obviously the Bucks offense was pretty stuck in mud for most of that game. But like 27 points, I think it was like 10 of 22 shooting where it's like you stay in rhythm. You still look for your shot. So it's his aggressiveness for you is the yeah, aggressiveness. And then, you know, he's going to be facing up against either Harden, Durant. I, I, I mean, we'll probably see some of Kyrie, but I think the first two, I think that's kind of his realm of assignments. I would say, um, yeah. I mean, it's kind of it, again, it's very similar to Drew's, where it's like the only difference is you know Drew's the new guy, you know, and how does that fit alongside? I, sorry, or, I, yeah. I I was gonna say I do think like if I I would have guessed when you said Chris, I thought you were gonna go to his defense because Chris is a He's a fine defender. He's above average, and he's had some really good moments against top players over the years. And Durant. And Durant. But he is also, if we're going to put Giannis, or we're going to put Drew, and we're going to bring P.J. Tucker into the mix, it's no shame to be the worst defender of that group, but he is the worst defender of that group. Yeah. So I think size-wise, he's going to be on James Harden or he's going to be on Kevin Durant for pretty significant spells in this series. Mm -hmm. That is difficult for anyone. And he's going to really have to be game and he's going to have to do some of his best work. Now, he did a lot of great stuff against Kawhi Leonard back in 2019 and it didn't matter because Kawhi went off. Um, And, you know... I, I it still stands out in my head. Some of the defense that Chris played, Brogdon too, in that series was so good, and yet Kawhi's shot making was just off the charts. That's the yeah. kind of thing that could happen again here. But Chris has got to be at that kind of level because if you're not giving them anything difficult, it's it could get pretty grim pretty quickly on any given night. Like that's mm-hmm. that's just the reality of that too. Um, I don't know if if the Nets really kind of blow the doors off the books and then he came in the series, there'd be panic. And I don't know if panic is actually the way to approach it because that is just something that, you know, one out of seven times against Brooklyn is likely going to happen. You're going to get a night yeah. where you just can't, you can't do anything about it. You can't live with it. You're not quite at your you best. You can't rely on a game like game one against Miami to, you know, happen. yeah, get game like that against the Nets. It's almost they really, end they really need to be stuck in the mud for you to be even close. Yep. But we'll see. I mean, and the other thing, as an X factor, Joe Harris concerns me a little just in terms of are the books going to be so tied up worrying about the All-Stars that Joe Harris slips under the radar as 
maybe the best version of the type of player who just has killed them year in year out anyway and again that's a big loss in missing Dante that's maybe where you've just got to play PJ Tucker more I don't know how that works all around I would be concerned about some of what that would take away from your offense um Maybe it's a show that Bryn Forbes could be in this X Factor mix too. Because again, if he shoots like he did, that's an obvious way. If Bryn Forbes fights hard enough and finds that and proves like that he can bother Joe Harris and he can be his primary defender, that would be huge. Mm-hmm. Like that, that would completely turn the the series on its head as well. So look, there are multiple options, and that's without like we didn't pick. Giannis Durant or Harden (laughs) so uh or Brooke like and then Brooke brings in lots of Nets players and how they approach that it's a fun series um from an MK Robert who do you think the Nets will start against the Bucks so their game five closing uh win against the Celtics their starting lineup was Kyrie Irving James Harden Joe Harris Kevin Durant Blake Griffin yeah. You think this is what we see? Yeah. I'm perfectly fine with saying that. Same here. <laughs> I don't know if their alternatives are better. I really like Claxton. I liked Claxton from before that draft. When, that draft, yeah. Um, he he was someone I think we both would have liked the, the books to take at that time. You, I think, put it very wisely. Like, this would be, you know, this would be prove it time for him. This would be... He, it's like the... It's like... The semi Ojolay, you know, whenever the Bucks play the Celtics, it'd be like, oh, here comes semi Ojolay. And even like Bucks or Celtics, like people in the know with the Celtics would be like, oh, he hasn't played in a while, but of course he's going to be going against Giannis. Like, that's kind of how I feel with like Claxton. Yeah, it's the kind of series where he'd need to really announce himself to the point that if he played the role that he could play in this series and he did it well. Like he's gonna be their starting center for the rest of the playoffs and for next season and the foreseeable future. It it's like he needs that series that takes him from potential and showing something good in the now to being like, oh, he's here, he's arrived, he's a key part of what we do. So that could happen, but it's a big ask for any player, and particularly at such an important moment. Um DeAndre Jordan's season's been weird. He's found himself in there at times, and then he's found himself all the way out of there at times. I don't know. I guess it depends what Brooke does to them. Um, if the Bucks win game one and Brooke has 28 points and is just, you know, out muscling everything they have inside, it's not out of the realm of possibility DeAndre Jordan comes back in. That's probably not what's going to happen in game one. Although it's just going to be interesting to see, like, because obviously the Bucks have their own starting lineup decision to make, how much these two teams try to tailor lineups to each other from the jump um, or who's going to really just bet on themselves and this is our most dangerous lineup this is what we go with DeAndre Jordan did not play a single minute against the Celtics that's true so I, I think yeah I mean they kind of showed their car I don't think I don't see Nash uh, the other the other thing with that though like and it, it's not unreasonable given the way they saw the the bracket map out if they were going to need him they were going to need him in round two and the conference finals yeah he's, he's an just, older I player don't, i don't see nash being this kind of like 
or the Nets as a whole being like, oh, we're going to save this guy. I don't, you know what I mean? I feel like they're they're not going to do this gamesmanship that we've kind of seen. I just don't know. think they have options is the thing. No, that's the that's thing. The, the only way I kind of find myself, you know, talking myself into an old version of DeAndre Jordan playing in this series is because I think of this, or even more, if you were to imagine that they win this series and they play Philly in the conference finals, and they've got Joel Embiid. It's like, what do they do? They just, it's a glaring hole on their roster that I don't think they have an answer for. So to me, it seems like they've just got a bet on, oh, well, what we do is going to get more points than the other team will get regardless. And (laughs) I don't know if that's guaranteed, given on how many they could give up. But like if Blake Griffin doesn't work out in game one and he has the kind of game that he's had against the books um, a number of times in recent years, where he's looked painfully old. Uh, the books have tried to get technical on Giannis. Yeah, there'll be some dirty play in there. Um, and then it comes to like they have to change something, and maybe their go to will be go to Brown and try and just play Brook off the floor in another way. But I, you still I don't see Brooke how that's on. happening. How is that happening? You still like, hide Brook on Brown. Yeah, and feel pretty good about it. Mm hmm. Because that's the thing, I mean, for all the flack that we'll give DeAndre Jordan if he does play a, a single second of the series, the lob threat that he still provides for them, I mean, the Bucks have historically, that's been a big sore spot regardless of what defense the Bucks have played under Bud. I mean, Blake, he's not. He's shown that he's springy more than he did in... Are Detroit. you saying the Bucks are going to lose to the Lob City Nets? Is that... I'm not saying that. I'm just saying We're, we should really be worried about like the 2018 Clippers in this series, as opposed to <laughs> the big tree. I mean, uh, no, Landry Shaman wasn't on there, but um, <laughs> I'm just saying like I understand what his use would be, rather than I know how the Bucks are going to be treating Blake Griffin, and they're going to say, "Hey, we'll dare you to make shots when the ball comes to you," and we know how that plan or plays out. And granted. Smaller sample versus, you know, uh, regular season sample size or the playoff series a couple years ago. But it's like, I feel much better about that bet than DeAndre Jordan just kind of doing his part and, you know, getting 10 quick, 10 easy points Mm -hmm. because the guys of Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving are setting it up for him. Yeah. And and the other side of that too is like, let's say, even if Blake kind of find something like let's say he has 10 shots in a game they're 10 shots that aren't going to the three guys you don't want the shots going to so you live exactly with. so that's like or maybe yeah. you could again you could probably add joe harris to that like uh, i think blake shots are taking away from the guys that you really do have reason to fear at this point if he like goes all the way into into his DeLorean and we get some different version of Blake Griffin, I think you're just going to have to live with that and be like, well, that was weird. But... He has to go in his version of the Kia that he jumped over in the dunk contest, <laughs> you know, that, that kind of thing. From at Torres D321, we've seen enough of us in Brooklyn in the first round for it to be clear that we're the favorite. I don't think anyone agrees with this. Uh, oh, the next part is even if Vegas, if Vegas, Vegas, <laughs> and ESPN won't think so. So, legit question: What can the Nets possibly do to stand a chance? Uh, I'd guess if those uh, 
future Hall of Famers had a good series, they'd have a good yeah. chance. Exist. I think that's that's a good start there. They exist. Um. <laughs> I will, over the course of this series, particularly if it's going well, undoubtedly be dismissive of multiple Nets players. Uh, be disrespectful towards multiple Nets players. This is Mr. part Whammy, of what happens. Brooklyn Knight. <laughs> um, but this isn't a joke team. I don't have a I don't have a joke about this coming into it. I'm not. I I can't. It's just it, there's nothing to be dismissive of here. My thing that is a bit, but it is also something I believe in, is that this team can. This team could eat itself. I genuinely believe that i believe that with the personalities if the books can go out and test their resolve they may find there isn't very much resolve there at all but in terms of the players at their disposal there there's no laughing matter they're no joke they could just beat the books by playing their game and we'll be left there and we'll be doing post-mortems or we know the books could have done better at this or they could have done better at that but the reality is they will have lost to one of the most dangerous teams ever assembled. Yep. That, that's pretty much that. <laughs> From at MK Robert, who do you think starts for the books against the Nets? I think... I'm really fighting what is deep inside me somewhere that Pat will start game one. And the reason I'm fighting that is the way that Bud phrased his thinking of making him the starter for game four against the Heat. That which leads me to... Again? Which was essentially that they weren't, weren't going to have a starter for the rest of the playoffs. It would be considered game-to-game, matchup-based, per-opponent. That seemed the most kind of logical approach for him to take at this point. And I agree with that. That's right. I think that would mean Bryn Forbes is starting. And that is personally what I would do here. Yeah. I think we're in the same boat. I would start Forbes, but there's that nagging of like, does Bud just keep a vanilla and vanilla thunder? <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and keep it with Pat. There is another part. I, there's something about PJ starting and the mix of the lineup that I'm not comfortable with. I don't, maybe that will be proven wrong. He'll start or at some point in the series and that will work great. He's obviously going to be really important. He's going to have to play minutes. I don't think he should be the starter. I don't think it's going to give the right balance. And if it, it takes one weapon out of your arsenal early on. So let's say Giannis or Chris or both of them have a slow start to a game. And PJ Tucker is your fifth starter. You could find yourself in a deep, deep hole very early on that you may not get out of. Nope. With what Brian has shown on offense and preparing for the inevitable onslaught that the Nets are going to bring, I think you've got to trust in that. You've got to trust in your offense. You've got to believe that your other four guys are better defenders than the Nets will have. I think that's true. Overall, starting line against starting line, the books will have the defensive edge. They won't have the offensive edge, so they've got to do everything they can to narrow that gap. And to me, that's starting Bryn Forbes. But if Bryn doesn't start, 
I would probably go Pat, but his minutes would have to be kept in check, which in fairness to Bud is what happened in game four against the Heat. Yeah. Like if if there is some feeling that just Bryn works best coming off the bench, that's the the spot I'd I would then stick with Pat, but not where he's closing a game, not where he's playing more than Bryn or PJ, unless we got some you know, unbelievably red hot planet pack game. Yeah. Yeah, I think the Tucker move would probably, I, I just see that as like, if it's 2 2 and it's game five, you know, everything's riding on this game. And either one or three of <laughs> Kyrie and KD, Harden, all that stuff, they have just, you know, gotten what they wanted. It just seems like that's that's the last move. Just because you're risking foul trouble, you're risking, you know... He's also the oldest of... guy. So there's some logic, I think, to... Let's say if it's Harden, he's going to find himself on a lot. You know, Harden having eight minutes where hopefully the books have given him a tough time already, and then PJ Tucker comes in. Even psychologically, I think what that will do, as opposed to wearing pj tucker down from the start as much as anything like this is this is a guy who hasn't been playing uh every single game this season and 30 minutes a night very far from it latter stages of his career i think you've got to pick your moments and if you pick them right the books will be big big winners for that but you can't just be like pj tucker great defender could switch he'll make some corner trees He's playing 42 minutes against the Nets, and this is a matter if the series goes seven. I don't think that will work. I don't think that's sustainable. So I think there's an element of having to pick your spots and having to get that right, and that will certainly be an important decision that Bud makes. From at MKE, Robert, does Bryn's offensive ceiling earn him starter-level minutes? TBD, I would say. I think he's I mean, got... starter level minutes for the fifth starter. I mean, Dante averaged like what twenty six mm, a game. Not sure against the Heat. I think he was up in the thirties. Like, uh, yeah, the number you're giving there, I think Bryn Bryn Forbes is a lock to play like twenty five minutes, regardless of what's happening. I, I think Dante averaged twenty seven point five in the regular season. Regular season, okay. Um, I guess this is gonna be. Dull because of uh, he only played so many minutes. In that's game true. Game. So it's the small sample size is going to be twenty three point three in the series, but that's also yeah, that's it's not a true reflection because he only played like eight minutes, ten minutes in the game that he got injured. Um, if it's working, if you're not getting cooked with Bryn on the floor, Bryn could end up playing forty two minutes a game in this series, and you could go with an ultra small rotation. But that is if it's working. So that's if he's showing more resistance than expected defensively. Or if he's so red hot that you're still feeling good that you're winning those minutes and the trade-off is good enough. So it's, it's one or the other. He really either has to have a surprisingly big defensive series, which is, I, I think, possible just with how engaged he is. You know, and, and with the effort he's bringing, and clearly he's gotten better as the season's gone on. Yeah, he's got good hands that doesn't mean... too. Is is something I'd say defensively? Like he's disruptive 
is is his thing, and that and that's he's gotten work. better at rebounding too. Definitely, he's actually quite a good rebounder. Yeah. Um, so the pad is there for him playing forty plus minutes, but he's got to either be really showing that his shooting is just carrying over from where it left off in the Heat series, or that his defense is not a major liability that forces you to kind of take that shooting off the board. Yep. Fran MK Robert again, should the home crowd count during Giannis's free throws? <laughs> Possibly. I, I think it's given him rhythm. I think he's, uh, my one concern would be that the home crowd would be more forgiving with the count and they'd actually count to 10 and then he'd be waiting for 11 or 12 and he'd get called for violations again. And then the whole thing would fall apart. But I, I'll keep an eye in this series on what his home and road splits are. Yeah. Will there be a crowd in Brooklyn? Like, you got Mister Whammy. He does his finger pointing, and the that's the wave, that's it though. Like he, he's one of the ten people who might be there. How much free stuff are they giving out to try and sell tickets? I, I don't know. <laughs> From at Luke Lorfeld, books are currently 4-0 in the most recent sleeved Giannis era. How long can the streak continue? Or can they long last fulfill the Brandon Jennings prophecy, honor the pod, and win each of the next three series in six, finishing each series at home? Finishing each series at home dramatically increases the chances of winning in six compared to what we've had in recent years. Yes. So that is certainly... um, an interesting wrinkle. I'd take either. Have the Bucks won in six in our year's podcasting? They haven't. Never. They beat the... They lost in six. That's not the same, Jordan. Our podcast is not called saying, Lose in Six. <laughs> um, they've beaten the Heat in four. They've beaten the Pistons in four. They've Celtics beaten the... Five. The Magic in five, too, right? Yep. They did drop yep. a game in that. Um, that's it. That's it. They lost in six to the Celtics. Was that seven? Seven. Seven. Seven to the Celtics, six to the Raptors, six, six to the six, Raptors. Six to the Bulls, which is yes. right uh, just before we started podcasting. So they have never won in six. They've actually haven't won in six since Brandon Jennings said that is what that means, which maybe that is in fact the curse. I'm trying to think of even when they would have won in six. It's probably from the eighties. Of course, it's from the eighties. They weren't doing yeah. a whole lot of. Did it, <laughs> there was no winning in six in two thousand and one. Nope. No, there wasn't. So was best of five too. Best of five against the the Hornets. Or magic, and then best. Of seven. Sorry, correct. Yeah. Best of seven. Yeah, no. So they've. You're going back to the eighties. Win and six. What a name we picked for the podcast. <laughs> the franchise, maybe with the least number of wins in six, in playoff series. But um, yeah, that would be nice. Now that we've fully worked through the infrequency with which the books, in fact, win in six, I would. I would quite happily take a win in six against the Nets. I'd take a win in any number against the <laughs> Nets. But six would be particularly good. Um, the sleeve, Giannis era, how long can the streak continue? I I have a good feeling, just going into game one generally. I 
just feel like the books are riding a wave and they've had some time to rest, some time to do their homework. They may pretend that they've been doing lots of Celtics homework behind the scenes. We all know that's not true. Uh, <laughs> come on. There's just no way. The you gotta see that, those last that. games of Brad Stevens tape. That's what you gotta do. Yeah. Um, from at DJ Abedes, do you think anyone beyond the assumed eight will get run versus the Nets? Predictions on who and what situation causes that player to get a run? Do you think Tanasis will make his triumphant return this series? I mean, Tanasis is certainly a contender if it does end up being players beyond the kind of obvious and beyond the the kind of assumed rotations he certainly could find himself in the mix i'd still there's a chance jeff t gets some minutes at some point here if if the books are really finding a rough time of it creating offense without drew they should be able to manage that but i just i'm not I'm not entirely convinced that will prove to be the case. I think Teague plays a bigger role than... I mean, they they have to replace the minutes somehow. I think Tanasis could get some minutes. I, I know we talked about this from late in the season. I just... Defensively, the way he fits in, and he, he was also doing a better job at just finding spots to contribute offensively. You're not going to want them out there for any length of time because it won't be too difficult to... Um, force the Bucks' offense into faltering with Tanasis out there, but I think in some spot minutes and just even some irritant kind of minutes—that's the key. On can we get him on Kyrie? Can we do that? Can we? Can we get some Tanasis guarded Kyrie? I just... remembered my uh, Kyrie like gamesmanship. Like, ooh, get under his head. You had to switch the floor to the mecha floor. That was a replica. <laughs> And then, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things that... He, he was very upset with that, wasn't he? Yeah, there's a lot of floors that he... Uh, in spite of the fact that the Celtics won that game. Handily, too. That yeah. was the bad... Very disappointing. <laughs> you know, if you're going to go to all that trouble, you might want to win the game, books, but not yeah. to bring back bad memories. Um, They're the only two players, I think, realistically, in this series. Maybe, maybe there's a thing somewhere in my mind that, you know, if the books really face adversity and we're having to do some different stuff, Elijah Bryant could get some looks. They they were prepared to pay the money to get that deal done. Maybe that was just to fight off someone else getting him. There is also a chance that they like enough about of his game and looking at their roster, they're like, mm, you never know. You know, <laughs> there could come a situation where we just need some more of what he can bring, which is good all-around play essentially but likely the rotation is going to stay pretty tight yeah like one of one of pat brain or portis or well actually no we didn't mention portis although not impossible um one of pat brain or tucker is likely to start and that's leaving you with then whoever didn't make that portis and yeah, no, that's it. Whoever mm-hmm. doesn't make it from that on Portis is your reserves. Yep. Everything else, you know, you never know when foul trouble will come into play and you need to go deeper. Teague and Thanasis would be next two up, though, I think. Yeah. From at Jules ask, do the books play more big ball with Brolo or small ball with PJ Tucker? 
Who do the Bucks want to shut down more by using Drew, Kyrie, or Harden? Uh, for the second part, I mean, I don't know if this is just the way that they'll make the decision and be like, we want to shut down Harden more, so Drew's on Harden. But my answer is Harden. Yeah. <laughs> like, I as good as Kyrie is, I don't think there's a comparison. Harden is one of the greatest offensive players ever. Um, both as maybe like a top five scorer and possibly like not too far off that kind of territory as a passer, like not quite there, not quite there, but not a million miles off. Like just his all around offensive ability is off the charts. And Kyrie has had big moments. He's made big shots. He's made one of the biggest shots in NBA history. As it comes down to it though, if we're seeing more of Kyrie, with the ball in his hands in the biggest moments, as opposed to Harden or Durant, I would be quite happy to live with the outcome of that. Yeah. Yeah, there's... I mean, we're not going to say, like, oh, we've seen this before with Boston and stuff like that. Like, that was an entirely different... I mean, the teams are not similar whatsoever. The role is different than what he had with the Celtics to now. Um, but I think you, I think we're very much in agreement. You kind of live with what you get with Kyrie just because you kind of, he's just, he's going to see a lot more different defenders than what you'd see against like KD or Harden, mm-hmm. where that seems pretty, it's like, well, Giannis or Giannis and Tucker are going to see a lot of KD, a little bit of Milton too. Milton Tucker is going to see a lot of. Hard, like it just yeah I mean you kind of just live with what Kyrie's gonna give you and he seems he's certainly the most exploitable on the other end of the floor too um yeah I think that's kind of where I'm at with it yeah like we know the books could really get a Harden defensively if this is one of these series where he has lapses in concentration that's where Harden is most prone to defensive error uh He's a great post defender. We all know yeah. this at this point, and we've seen him do it against the Bucks at point at some time too. Like even against Giannis, that might be something they have to do if the Bucks are really going to Brook Lopez. Like mm-hmm. if they're going small and the the Bucks are playing Brook, Harden might be their best post defender. I, there's no might yeah. about it. He is their best there, post defender. He just offers strength, and where like Katie's more of the rangy length kind of defender and i don't think kd would hold up as well physically to the bruising if it was to go that way you'd want to avoid that if you're the nets so that is possible too that we see like harden defending brook lopez in the post which signed me up just what a what a fun way for a massive playoff series to potentially be decided um as for the first part of the question i think it's wait and see it's is it more big ball brawl or small ball with pj tucker I think the benefit of the doubt will go to Brook and to what they've been doing, particularly given the way the Nets roster is constructed. But if that's not working, well, then you could quite quickly settle into a series where the books are small 90% of the time. Yep. But if they get some success with the the go-to, and as Ty and crossover episodes, I think, as point out most often, with Dante gone, the books have to lean more on getting their five best players on the floor, and Brook is a part of that. You just... 
you can't necessarily just be like, we're just not playing him like you would have before because you're one guy down on your rotation. And you'd be hurting yourself more to take away even some of what he's been doing offensively if it was just go all small. Maybe more of a balance than before, but it will come down to, you know, which is working better, as it should. Yep. From at SC99156, if we get blown out by the Nets and the playoffs are deemed a failure, do you expect to see a Middleton trade? If so, which star would you like to see paired with Giannis and Drew? I don't have an answer for the second part of it right now. It's just that's too difficult at this point in time for me to even wrap my head around and to get into oh, who's available, what are the assets. For the first part of it, 100% in play. If if this doesn't work out, anything can happen. Now, I think the first round means this season shouldn't end up with a flipping outcome. They've got a it's a conversation that hopefully we never have to have. They even that athletic report about Bud's future, there were so many caveats where it's like, yeah, it's all gonna be contextually based, you know? And the Nets are probably the best team in the NBA. And if you lose in a close series, having shown major marked improvement against the Heat. Like, it could be a case of, yeah, you're only in the second round, but you could certainly look at it and not kind of, not irrationally so, and say, we were close. (laughs) We were really close. You know, we're that stumbling block, just get past that and we're there. Now, closing that gap will be its own challenge this is going to be a really interesting series because of that. It's because of what comes next. But the heat is the one where if the heat went wrong, I think everything would have to be reassessed. And you just got to... Anything not named Giannis, um, you'd have to just consider what you're doing with it. Even Drew, as great as Drew is, and as much as you like him, you got to just walk away. Can we rebuild this roster because it's not good enough as currently constructed? I'm not saying it's impossible, though. I think anything is, if the books come up short, even if they do so, um, having a really good go at it this year, I think they'll have to consider, is there a way we can upgrade? Look at what the upgrade from Bledsoe to Holiday did. If there's an equivalent that you can do from Middleton, I don't think they'll be able to be sentimental, but that's that's something we just got to wait and see on. From at Grizz145389, how can Milwaukee convince Giannis to stop shooting trees? Anything with more than seven seconds left on the clock should be a no-go on shooting distance for him. On shooting from distance for him. Um, well, history has taught us an important lesson, which is to not stop Giannis from shooting trees completely. We don't want any three-point shooting bans in the past that hasn't worked out has created more problems. There may be a part of this which is tough that I do think there's just general shooting confidence that Giannis has that he's probably more likely to left fly from deep when he's making his free throws or if he's hitting some nice kind of fadeaway uh, mid-range jumpers or baseline jumpers. Things are generally working quite well for him right now. So if, if that requires he's going to take a couple to keep the defense honest, maybe make them and make a real statement with that, okay, I can live with that, but anything more than three three-point attempts, I think, is a big problem. 
Like, yeah, waste. Of I mean, I think the, empty trips. The the ship has sailed at this point of like trying to, you know, limit Giannis. I mean, we saw the inverse of that <laughs> in terms of just shooting because I think it's not just about shooting three. That's the whole point of why that was so damaging to him is that we wouldn't see him shoot at all is that we would see him just constantly the wear and tear of, you know, constantly going after the rim that takes a lot out of anybody, much less a seven foot, uh, you know, player as good as Giannis, you know, that's, it's all a matter of just trying to like, how can we kind of preserve what you have with such a, unique talent and unique body and that was the whole point of shooting and we heard it forever it's like oh if he has a jump shot there's there's no way to guard him and now it's like okay we're at the point where we're resigned to the fact that like yeah you're gonna have a game like he did against the Nets this season where he hits four threes and you just get this crazy run but more often than not it's gonna be like you know over three one it's for not four. honestly it's not far off lebron no. Like, and that's the thing, and that's the thing we've said all along. Or the, Russell the, Westbrook. Well, hmm. kind of is. I, let's just stick with LeBron. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but part of my thinking on it would be you need Giannis to get to a place where he's as confident and comfortable in his passing as LeBron is. I think his passing is improving, and we're seeing in this postseason already against the Heat, the way he steps into that. If that becomes a you know, nightly thing that he's there. It's just part of his game and he's finding guys from the corner, no matter how many bodies he's seeing, no matter what the traffic is, the shooting never matters again. He doesn't need to take a tree if he doesn't want to. But until he gets to just that level of comfort and confidence, it's part of the balance of keeping every option open for him and not allowing teams to just be like, well, we just have to do this and that's him defend it. So, until that point, he will keep shooting some. It's it's really LeBron. It's LeBron oh. to me is the example. Breaking news. Joel Embiid has a small meniscus tear in his right knee and will be day-to-day. That is a big wrinkle. That doesn't sound very day-to-day. No. <laughs> Maybe series-to-series, best-case scenario, which could be fine game for to them. Game? Even that seems. What score is Hawks Knicks now? Oh, Hawks Knicks. Oh yeah, three one two. Hawks might want to get that one wrapped up and get into <laughs> into the next round and playing those games as soon as they can. Mm-hmm. Um, although that's assuming that the Sixers aren't going to drop more games now. It all rests on Ben Simmons' quite capable shoulders. I'm sure you'll all agree. But, yeah, interesting wrinkle. Interesting wrinkle that certainly is not going to make me back down from earlier when I said winner of Bucks Nets probably wins the championship. From, this is lastly, from uh, Mick Roberts, who has a great, great display name. It's Bobby Portishead. And (laughs) it's just fantastic. Um, Big fan of Portishead, the trip-hop band from Bristol, but Bobby Portishead was not something that entered my head. I like it. Good question, too. You have to play Bango in full costume. 
I'll be honest, when this tweet, when I saw it come in, I stopped reading there and I was like, yes, sign me up. I will play Bango in full costume. But there is more to the question than that. You have to play Bango in full costume for a total of 26 minutes in game one against the Nets. What is your ideal lineup slash coaching strategy to maximize winning potential? Optional difficulty multiplier, Pat Connaughton is just a little bit drunk. Bango can Bango can shoot. Uh, maybe Bango maybe Bango should be getting some minutes. Bryn Forbes is we, cold. We're talking about this multiple times. We have this is this is something that we have given consideration to before is whether Bango have deserves to look at some the minutes hoop to shoot. That's the thing. Are you gonna guard? You can't face guard him because you're guarding his antlers. I guess. Yeah, that's like we talk about. You know, Brook closing out and the space it gets. You know. You're not going to contest Bango from the side. You won't be able to get near him with those antlers. The other side of it is, is is it the perfect way to throw Kyrie Irving off his game? A mascot, given given the last week's events? Mascot that isn't, you know, two-dimensional? <laughs> that isn't a floor for him to stamp on? How would Kyrie feel if suddenly Bango was guarding him? I don't know. I, I look... World's biggest Bango fan here. I would back Bango to to score some points. Give Joe Harris a run for his money. Why couldn't he be? I mean, he might have to. He might have to face the opposite direction and shoot everything backwards. But why not? Backwards Bango trees to you know <laughs> book a place in the conference finals. All right, Jordan. That is it for us for now. Don't hold us to it. I think on current plans, though, there will be some sort of crossover preview with the Eurostep guys um, ahead of game one. If it's not a crossover, there'll be there's going to be some sort of preview, I believe, anyway. But we, we'll work all that out behind the scenes. But you will get some more content here on the Eurostep Podcast Network ahead of the start of the next series. In the meantime... Make sure you subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're listening to us, you've made the jump from our old feed over at Winning Six. We thank you for doing that. Encourage others to listen. As always, leave ratings and reviews wherever you get your your podcasts. You may have missed the chance to win a classic Winning Six prize, but it doesn't mean we appreciate it any less. You can follow us on Twitter at WinInSix. That's numerical value six. Podcast. And Jordan and I are on there too. Of course, Ty, Rohan, the entire Eurostep Podcast Network crew. Ty in particular likes followers. So if you're listening here and somehow don't follow Ty, it would make his day most of all if you were to follow. We'll be back very soon and continuing to build up to and get excited about this very, very special series. Until the next time, thanks to all of you for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. 
That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.